1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Facebook may have gone down this week, Terry, but Terry's talking. The new podcast on cleveland.com will carry on. We will not be stopped. This is David Campbell, sports manager at cleveland.com with award-winning sports writer, Terry Pluto. Terry, how's it going? I am doing well. Good. So we probably should jump right into the Browns. They have a very tough game this week, and I know you talked about how tough the Minnesota game was going to be for them last week, but they they, they might even have a tougher opponent this week in, in the uh, Chargers who really put it on the Raiders the other night on Monday Night Football. Uh, Terry, you know what do you think of what that win meant in Minnesota on Sunday and and where do you see this team right now? Just kind of a general overview of what you're seeing.
0: Well, the nice thing about that win to me was that they won differently, you know, 14 to seven, they won with defense. And if you think back to how Kansas city beat the Browns in the playoffs last year, where uh, Mahomes gets hurt, they won that game. Ugly. The chiefs did you have to win some games ugly sometimes. And you have to win games when your quarterback is not right for whatever reason. And you have to win games that way on the road. Um, and you have to, after the game, there was uh, the Browns put out that little thing with Kevin Stefanski where he gives it. It's very interesting to watch those every week. He's They're, they're sort of the same. I and mean, he comes up with the stat sheet and he praises, you know, he doesn't say anything negative, at least on that video. And they'll say, look at that. You know, we had, no turnovers and they had one. So we're plus one. Then he wants people to applaud. Then he says, special teams. How about special teams? You look at that, the kicker who finally got, you know, chase McLaughlin, you know, talked about his kicking and then he talked about the defense and, and that, but it, he broke down ways they won. And I, and I also like the fact that uh, you want to highlight some of the people and some of the units that normally don't get it because he he's in charge of the offense. And, um, And so he knows that, uh, those other parts of the ball, he can't be everywhere at once. They don't get his attention as much special teams and defense. They just can't, he can't be preparing the offense all the time. And even with Alex Van Pelton being in those other rooms. So that, that to me was encouraging. I'm not saying they're going to have to win 14 to seven when they play the chargers, but they're going to have to win in some unique ways. I was really impressed with them. I, what did you think David watching them?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's funny. Um, I, a lot of Browns fans won't like to hear this, but it was—it felt like a very Steelers win to me. If you look at the Steelers, mm-hmm. it's ever since they drafted Big Ben, it's like Big Ben has an off day, the defense comes up with three interceptions. Yep. You know, Big Ben has an off day, they have a big running game day. Um, you know, the the running game is not having a great day, but there's always somebody who they can turn to when things get tough. And I think you're right. I think this Browns team is starting to discover that. They can win if everybody's not having their best day, and that's a huge thing. That is what playoff teams and and teams that go deep into the playoffs are really made of.
0: When you look at how uh, Brady beat uh, the Patriots the other night, it was raining. He wasn't very good. He was throwing, he was trying to rival Baker and like off-target throws and all that for a while. They won anyway, and they won uh, on the road. So that was a huge deal. And I also think that there's going to take something like that to win against the chargers. I'm really curious to see if they can get uh, to Herbert with the defensive line, like they did uh, with, with cousins. Cause Herbert's bigger and more mobile. I mean, I knew Herbert was pretty good, but man, he really impressed me in that game.
1: Yeah. And just the way he leads that offense, being yes. such a young player too, it's really impressive. And, and, you know, I guess we could talk about the Chargers real quick, but if you look at Herbert, he, he is kind of like a reflection, kind of like the Browns and Baker Mayfield, but mm-hmm. Herbert is kind of a reflection of Brandon Staley. Who's a Northeast Ohio guy came from Perry, went to John Carroll, you know, has John Carroll connections coach there. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting to watch them interplay that other, the other night during the Raiders game they there it's, it's very, um, they know what they want to do and they go out and they do it. It was really interesting to watch.
0: Yeah. They have those little running backs and, and, it's going to be a real challenge. You're okay, fine. I and mean, you know, if you want to be good, that, these are the kind of games you have to win. And even if you go there and you lose, then learn something, you know, from that game and, and figure out, okay, this is why we fell short or this is what happened. In the same way, winning that game in Minnesota, say, okay, this is how we have to win if, the ba- if Baker and the offense is not clicking. Well, basically, Baker not clicking. I mean it's hard to find fault. Left tackle was a problem going in the game and it was a problem during the game and I don't know what they're going to do this week about left tackle,
1: you know. Yeah, but, we let's we can get into that in a minute. I, I, so let's get into yeah. the Baker question. The, the big sure. topic in in sports in Cleveland this week is like what is up with Baker and everybody seems to have a theory about it. What is yours about where Baker's at right now? And of course he admitted after the game the other day that he was terrible. And he's gonna set about to fix it. But what are you seeing from him? What's your what's your take on where he's at right now?
0: I think something's physically wrong with him, but I don't know how much. Um, it reminded me a little bit of that Stewart's game where he played with the broken rib, or whatever it was. Remember that game? He was just terrible. Granted, you're playing the Stewart's in Pittsburgh, but he it it was, it was pathetic. And then he was he was very indecisive and holding on the ball too long and and that kind of stuff in that same Pittsburgh game. And I saw some of that same stuff against Minnesota. Um, Maybe it's just a bad game, but I'm still in the Baker camp. I still think Baker is a, is a, is a good quarterback. He gets you to the playoffs. You can win some playoff games with him. He's still growing Um, just because he stunk in Minnesota doesn't mean that uh, there's a big problem going on here at all. uh, This would have to happen over several games. And I'd also don't buy into the, you know, Odell's playing. So he's played poorly thing. Not, not with this setup. The problem I always thought for Odell was when he had Odell and Jarvis together, because how do you spurt it around and then did did everybody else. But that was not the case.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. I think he wants Baker wants so badly to win and he wants to be tough for his team. I, I'm seeing yes. him; pu- he's pulling the ball down really early sometimes. And I know he's facing yeah. some pressure, but it seems like he's really willing to just gut out like a four yard scramble or a three yard scramble instead of take, making the easy play. And you, and, you know, as well as anybody, Baker's at his best when he's getting the ball out quick, getting it to guys early, in, you know, or right off a break. And that wasn't happening. There was one play the other day where Felton was standing wide open beyond the first the first down stick, yeah. and Kevin Stefanski's on the sidelines pointing at Felton, saying, "There he is. Just flip the ball to him." And Baker just took it and you know he he kept it and it was a short gain those are the plays that baker makes in his sleep usually and that's why that's why it's really i wonder if there is something to it with the shoulder or, or what's going on but they're going to fix and it. also
0: on that play too david i believe that's where he kind of got hit on the left side if you mm-hmm. go look at that and it's like i have this thing of quarterbacks are not football players i mean there's some of Like Lamar Jackson or a couple others. There's always exceptions to the general thing. You don't want them to act like football players. You don't want them blocking. I don't want them tackling. I don't want them running into linebackers. I don't want any of that. I want them to keep playing. And so Tom Brady actually learned that early in his career. Remember he had an ACL. And then after that, he gets rid of the ball and or else he goes, goes in almost a fetal position when he gets tackled. He's living for another play, another series, another game. And this is where they're going to have to sit down with Baker because I think he's got to get past that stubbornness. And as you said, and when Felton's over there, throwing the ball. There's nothing wrong with you know taking the check down when it's there as opposed to taking a big hit or just trying to heave it into triple coverage. The one thing I will say for him in that game he didn't turn it over where if you were to look at that kind of passing stats, uh, you would also, what was he, 15 to 33 or something like that. You would think that there had to be a couple interceptions in there.
1: Yeah. And I do wonder if, if this week uh, for Sunday's game, they're, tr- they're trying to reprogram him a little bit, just reboot. Like, hey, yeah. listen, this is what we do. Three step drop, slant, get the ball out. Three step drop, mm-hmm. quick out, get the ball out. And just to get him back into that tempo a little bit, because that Browns fans know that's when Baker Mayfield's at his best when he can do and that. And remember,
0: so. you know, I always say my client, Richard Higgins, when you go back to things you know, there he was, he finds a way to get open, bang, get him the ball yep. right there. I'm not the saying, but that helps. It gets some confidence, gets the offense wrong. Meanwhile, thank goodness for this running game. They just, I mean, it's like 150 yards is almost a bad game for these guys. Now we got to go for 200, 170, 180 and when I was talking to somebody high up with the Browns a week ago um, and I wrote about this in my Sunday notes, where I wrote, you remember the main thing, the main thing, not that you just want to run all the time, but this team is built with the offensive line and two premier running backs. It's built. So Baker doesn't have to throw it 35 times.
1: And the Browns are actually, this was an interesting stat. The Browns are leading the league with in big play rushes. They're not just grounding out. Three, no. four yards there they've had 22 rushes of over 10 yards and included in that was the, the big kareem hunt one on that got a first down the other day toward the end of the first half so you're right it's it's a huge difference maker and nobody likes when
0: your defense is out there forever because you can't stop them because they're running and meanwhile the offensive line you're an old lineman uh you you know what that feels like well we got six yards eight yards five yards they're getting sick of us you know and that's exactly I mean, and Browns fans should understand this, you know, in some ways, the, the advent of fantasy football and then how it went to hyper enthusiasm, was it, it's like, well, my guy's got to get my stats. And my quarterback and my receivers have to get their, get their numbers or whatever, as opposed to, you know, it, it, the old, it is a pass fail league 14 seven. It's a win.
1: Absolutely. Any wins, any wins, a good win. Right. So let's, let's talk about the offensive line real quick before we take a break here. Um, Left tackle. There's a lot of people saying, "Listen, let Jedrick Wills Jr. heal up. This thing of him sending him out at 50% or 80% or whatever he is, having him gutted out, then get then have to leave the game in the middle of the game, and now they're now they have to go to a backup who maybe hasn't had as many reps that it's not working." What's your take on left tackle? Um, they tried James Hudson there the other day. He kind of had mixed results. He had a false start. There was one play where he kind of got spun around. But, you know, he had some good snaps, too. What do you think is the approach that they should take at left tackle right now?
0: Rest him. Pick, your, pick somebody, Hans, Hudson, whoever, uh, and, and try that. The shame is this is why they kept Chris Hubbard. The idea was to have him in the bullpen, and you could put him in. At least he's had quite a bit of experience playing both tackle positions. Uh, but I think he's got one more game yet or something on the, on, on the uh, injured list. But, yes, I would. And, and you know, and maybe it costs you a game against the Chargers, but the way um, Wills is playing, he's not playing very well anyway. And it doesn't make any sense. A, a really good way to get past, a, whether it's a high ankle sprain or whatever he has, is to have him go out there and have some 300-pound lineman just mash him. And then you fall on a pile and it gets turned funny. I, I would just rest him. Now they will, you know how that goes, even if they do it, they're not going to tell us. So right up until, you know, the game time or something,
1: right? Well, nor should they, nor should they, you don't want to give the other, but this is a, this is a tough week to rest somebody like that because the the charges, everybody knows about Joey Bosa. I think he's got two and a half sacks. He's got two forced fumbles and not just him, but that whole defense is really active. They really get after the quarterback. Um, I'm curious to see what the Browns do. I, I, I do wonder if they'll stick with this, plan of go as long as you can and gut it out and we'll get we'll get Hudson some help with chips or tight line extra tight ends over there they can there's ways they can do it maybe they're thinking we just have to get through it like you said until Chris Hubbard gets back maybe maybe that's the approach
0: that possibly could be it but I just uh, yeah I want this guy the second half of the year where he looks like the player he was uh, last season. and if you remember at the end of last year uh, Wills are starting to have injuries.
1: So, yeah. And the Browns have a late buy this year too, which doesn't help, but they do have a Sunday, Thursday coming up later this month. So that might help yeah. get them, a, get them a little bit healthy. But, then, but so.
0: then, aren't those two teams, aren't there, isn't that Arizona and Denver right yep. in there? Arizona, too?
1: Denver, Sunday and Thursday. Brad,
0: they're back. Yeah. They're both at home. That helps. But, um, well, well. That's why the NFL is, is fascinating to watch. You know, it isn't like college where you look at half the games, you go like, there's no way, you know, Ohio State's going to lose to, you know, half of their schedule or more. Just like no way unless something, you, you there should be an investigation if they lose that game. Yep. Whereas in the NFL, if you're not with it, um, you could you can get dumped.
1: Yeah, and that's why the injury report is one of the most important things of the yeah. week. People pour over that to see what's going on. So, so uh, we, we should spend a few minutes talking about the Urban Meyer situation in Jacksonville. It's an NFL story with Ohio ties. Um, our colleague Doug LaMaurice has a column up on cleveland.com today talking about how Urban didn't really live up to the Urban standard and kind of that he's kind of in a tough spot where he's at right now. What, what was your take on that whole thing? And, and uh, how do you think it'll, it'll affect the team and him going forward? Coaches like it or not, are are held to a higher standard in the
0: same way. If you remember one that uh, I can't think of the assistant coach's name for Kansas city, when he got into it with Harrison on the sidelines, remember he shoved Harrison, even there in the contact. No, you are not supposed to put your hands on opposing players. You're just not supposed to, whereas if it was another player on the sidelines of the average, whatever, you know Um, but I mean, urban, and that just comes as as a whole litany of, it's almost a lament of mistakes he's made since he took over there. He, he is entirely clueless about the NFL, you know, how to put together a staff and, and what he's doing and his temperament is ill suited for it. Uh, because those, every loss is like the end of the world to him and he's taking over a team that's young and is going to lose a bunch of games. And then on top of it, he didn't fly home with the team like you're supposed to. And, uh, uh, and when your coaches you don't do that stuff, I don't care where your marriage is, where your life is, and all they ever do is tell these guys, "Be careful in public. Everybody has a cell phone. Be careful in public. Everybody's taking your picture." And there's your coach out there, um, and you know I'm not there. But that to me is just like the exclamation point on a whole paragraph listing all the different things that Meyer has not been able to handle since he's come to the NFL, and how Jacksonville, he must interview great. Of course, he's a great recruiter, so he could. But really, they had to know they were going to be in big trouble with these guys because the history of most of these guys, whether it's uh, in the NBA going to college, from college to the NBA, or straight from college with little pro or no pro experience to the NFL. Um, you know, it's even guy like Nick Saban, who had been a defensive coordinator for the Browns, Remember when he went to uh, Miami, it was a lot of rocky times for him.
1: These yeah, guys a, have a hard time with it. They do. And and the thing about football is that you, if you're a coach, you have to have your team willing to run through a wall for you. Yeah. That's a big part of it. And I, I was really struck, you know, reading what Kevin Stefanski did. So here's Kevin Stefanski going back to Minnesota last weekend mm-hmm. where he coached for what, 13 years, has some, some friends there people that he's known for a long time, a lot of great coaching relationships. And they went to the team hotel and Kevin Stefanski stayed in the hotel and he ordered in fried chicken from a place yeah. that's one of his favorite places. And they sat in the hotel and ate fried chicken. And you, you heard the post-game press conference. Somebody asked Kevin Stefanski, was this a special emotional win for you at beating the Vikings today? And he said, no, next yeah. question. Yeah. Well, it <laughs> and, was, and, and you, but he you, acted,
0: you, but he, but he acted like it was a business trip. He did. Yeah. And I think the players,
1: my point is like players respect that when they see a coach who has, you know, Hey, you know what, this guy's all business and I'm going to play for him. And if you compare that to what urban had happen over the weekend, didn't take, I'm seeing quotes from players. that are all anonymous, of course, but Jacksonville players and other NFL players, I've never had a coach who didn't take the bus or the plane home with the team in my entire career. And urban did it last weekend. So I think he's lost He's lost the players in a it seems like in a pretty big way. And I'm just wondering if he can get that back. Probably not. Because the team's not going to be very good anyway. Um, the only way
0: something like this gets fixed, you go on a big winning streak, you know, that kind of stuff. But my goodness, they were they were he was like devastated when he was losing preseason games. And the other thing that's difficult for these college guys, whether that's they go to the pros of the NBA or the NFL, is you know, you take over a college team between transfers and scholarships, you could like turn over half the roster and you could have a really big recruiting class within a year and two, you're you're very good. It doesn't matter that you happen to want this player in the draft, but if they take them in front of you, uh, they took him in front of you. The player doesn't have a choice. You can't go to his house and recruit his mother. So <laughs> you just can't, it doesn't yeah. matter, you know? So, and th- that's where the, they, they lose it. They just think that their magnetic personality and charisma, what they've done before is going to play at a different level. And, and, and it's just not. So um, it's too bad for Urban, but I have to admit no
1: tears for me on this one.
0: And, and or Jacksonville it was a dumb hire.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a break here. Uh, Just real quick, Browns Chargers. It's a four or five kickoff Eastern time on Sunday afternoon. Battle of three and one teams. Should be a great one. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. Terry Pluto with David Campbell. Terry, Cavs had their first preseason game on Tuesday night in Chicago. And to say it didn't go well was an understatement. They were blown out, barely played any defense. I know J.B. Bickerstaff and, and the front office were, were not happy after that. It is only a preseason game, but what, what did you take out of what, what you saw last night?
0: To show what kind of life I had, I watched like, like uh, I'd say, two and a half quarters of that. And the big deal is that um, they actually played the main guys for like two and a half quarters. That's different than if you were just playing, you know, these people that you don't know who they are. So they're running around out there. They started, you know, Sexton and um, Garland, in the backcourt with Mobley and uh, Allen and Okoro. They're guarding nobody. The ball ha- ball movement is terrible. And they looked like five guys just came off the street. And that to me, now there were some nice individual things here and there. And remember, they're playing the Bulls and the Bulls, are a bunch of new guys. And, you know, the Bulls in some ways, almost like the Cavs, they've been changing coaches and going through all kinds of different things. Um, I just thought it was incredibly disappointing and we'll see they got some more preseason games coming up, but you have to have some kind of identity and you have to play some sort of defense and it wasn't there. They had a little bit of a a nice moments when they brought in Rubio and love and moved the ball a little bit with those guys. You know, Kevin looks to me like he uh, is in decent shape but he doesn't, still doesn't move very well. He plays like sort of the old man basketball. It's really below the rim now. You know, makes long shots, kind of knows what to do, but you know, he, he is, he's just so susceptible in pick and rolls. Their pick and roll defense was terrible. I, so we'll see. Now, Mobley, um, I think he had 10 points, eight rebounds. He, he's very thin. He's getting shoved over inside. But my goodness, he could block some shots. He could run. He can handle the ball fairly well. Uh, you could see all the raw talent there. Um, I, I thought Garland, you know, against one preseason game, we'll see, but I thought Garland looked better based on what he did last year.
1: Yeah, and they're back-to-back to back tonight. I think they're in Atlanta yeah. tonight, if I remember, so they'll have a chance to redeem themselves and get that one out of their system pretty quickly. Um, anything else you want to say about any of the young guys that you, that you kind of took from took away from last night? <sighs>
0: It was so bad <laughs> that that really was the issue. And I actually watched some of the tape of their scrimmage the other day, which was underwhelming to say the least. They didn't really go at it very hard. Um, the good thing is if uh, they look at these tapes and say, "All right, we really and we need to get these guys going," and, and especially get some idea and have an idea what you want to play on defense. And you know, them losing Larry Nance Jr. is huge. Because that's he was a big part of when he was healthy of helping them defensively. The only time that I remember for quite a while the Cats played any kind of consistent defenses all for a while was when they had uh, Drummond and Nance playing together. Some, and that team actually won some games. And that I'm not saying to go back, but you know why they they had an identity, and hopefully they could get something like that going now.
1: Yeah, what do the coaches call it? Somebody who connects you on defense, right? And that was what yeah. Larry Nance did was just make sure people were in the right spots, switching. Um And it, they need somebody and, to do that. Yeah. And leading by example, too. Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of these guys, they need you you missed that, you did that, but you don't see them on the floor for a loose ball.
1: You don't see them blocking out. Well, Nance did all that stuff. All right, let's move on to the Guardians. It's going to take a while to get used to saying that, Terry. I thought yeah. uh, Tom Hamilton, I thought, did a wonderful job kind of wrapping up the season. If you get a chance to find that on social media, he just taught, really put – Um, he really built a bridge I thought between the final game as the Indians and what's ahead. If you get a chance to listen to that, it's worth listening to, but Terry, you should take uh, inventory of this team. Can the guardians as constructed, do you think this team can win 90 games next year? I know that's kind of right on the border of the playoffs usually, but assuming the pitching staff is healthy based on what you've seen and who knows what they're going to do in free agency. But if this team comes back as it is with another year of experience and these young guys are, Obviously, they have more innings and more experience now. And where do you see this team as it's built?
0: I'm upbeat. You know, I I wrote that I thought they could win 90 next year. Um, I'm also basing it on them having a payroll of 70 million or more, as I call it a Tampa Bay payroll, because if you can't spend as much as Tampa Bay, you got problems and deeper ones. And now that the team is past COVID, past, you know, what's going to happen with the lease? all that. Uh, now, I know the name change thing is costing them a ton of money, you know, all the, what's going to be done. But nonetheless, um, they have to move that up. And if you're the Dolan family, if you want to keep your management team in place, where your management team has 80 and 82 is a bad year, isn't it remarkable they won more game than the Mets and Pirates? How about that? I mean, excuse well, the Pirates too. The Mets and Padres is what I meant to say. Um, and those teams are going to be looking at, you know, who's running our team. You, you, what should we do? Whereas with the Indians, you, you want to hope for Frank Konica stays healthy for a full year, cause you can't have a third year of him not going the distance. I mean, this, they need him, uh, to be able to take over and, and really manage all the way through, um, I'm, you know, they got pitchers coming, they got. A lot of young pitchers coming. This kid, Cody Morris, is really good, who ended up at AAA last year. And they have another guy, uh, this Pilkington that they got for the White Sox. Um, Benefield that they got from Tampa Bay. They got some really good quality Double A pitchers, uh, along with we saw, you know, Eli Morgan, who I think is this generation's Josh Tomlin. Uh, and then you, you you saw McKenzie Quantrill. I mean, Quantrill now, I just kind of dropped him in there with the other guys. and he may pass up, please, Zach, or one of these other pitchers. I am a bit concerned about Savali. Um, it was very rocky for him after he came back. He had a good game here, a good game there. I hope that finger is okay. And maybe in the offseason it will be. You know, Bieber, I went and saw Beaver's first game in person. Um, he was thrown in the low 90s where he – a couple, um, you know, miles below normal. But the breaking ball was sharp. He's, you know, he's such a natural pitcher, David. I mean, it's just it flows from him. I mean, I'm old enough to have seen Jim Palmer, and that's how Palmer looked. How the delivery was so fluid. Athletes um, who
1: are pitchers, right? You can tell yes, they're athletes. exactly
0: yeah. that. And it it's so important because it it makes your pitches more deceptive because everything comes out of the same windup.
1: All right. So um, we got a few minutes left here. Why don't we get some Terry's talking questions in and then um, I don't know if I have a trivia question for you at the end, but I had some interesting stuff that I wanted to throw your way. So you usually put up an old picture when you solicit yes. Terry questions. And this week was a great picture. Uh, Paul Brown back in the fifties, I'm <laughs> guessing standing at a <laughs> yeah. chalkboard and there's Otto Graham sitting in the, they're in the locker room, Otto Graham's in the front row. They're just sitting on benches in yeah. perfect order um, and uh, really great old picture. Um, I think what uh, people were saying, Otto Graham had an X on his helmet to, to tell people not to hit him. Is that, yeah, what, you, yeah, is that what, what it was? was? Yeah,
0: I think so. <laughs> that's uh, great. The other thing back then, the joke wasn't, where's your locker? It was, where's your nail? Because it was a nail on the wall that they hung the stuff on
1: that's right yeah and they were it
0: was that way even in the early 60s because when i did my book on the 64 browntown 64 and the 64 browns that's what that was always well guys you know you got a better nail than i did or they gave you two little nails next to each other
1: (laughs) it's like we had back in high school right back in the day so all right let's go to the first hey terry question this one is from bill johnson who's from akron he says hey terry Is it just me or would Demetric Felton be a lot better off on punt returns running north and south instead of east and west? He seems to lose a lot more yards than he gains when he runs sideline to sideline instead of straight ahead. I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: Well, he's looking to make a big game, but I think he's on to something that most of the time on punt returns, if he runs straight ahead, you at least get five to ten yards. Um, Otherwise, you probably should fair catch it. So that's true, but the natural inclination of a young back, especially one that's shall we say underweight and small is to try and uh, go sideways, use your speed, get around people. Um, He's going to have to, to, to learn how to do that.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times we don't know what the blocking scheme is either is that Mike prefer has set up on a given play. Maybe it's something that's meant to go up the sidelines or um, that's why we want to see the all 22 film, which has been hard to get this year. So, all right, Terry, this one's from Mike Brubaker. He says, Hey, Terry, Coach Stefanski seems to like to go for it on fourth down in the red zone rather than kicking a field goal. So far, we've failed and passed on a couple of field goal opportunities to put points on the board. I'm not a fan of taking points off the board. What do you think?
0: I think it depends on the opponent um, and also the, the kind of game. Like if where you saw Earl after the first quarter, I would have thought that Minnesota games could be high scoring. By the middle of the third quarter, uh-oh, nobody's scoring here. So I'm going to take the points. Uh, as opposed to going for it. That is disturbing, by the way. They've had it, three consecutive plays on fourth down where they went for it and Baker got sacked. Now, I'm not good enough to know whose fault that is. Uh, there probably was some problem with, the, with the, play bo- the play call, but nonetheless, Baker wasn't helping the situation either. And so on top of it, you're probably giving away pretty good field position when you don't get the fourth down, but you're adding more yards to it by getting sacked.
1: Yeah. And like you said, Kevin Stefanski has talked about, there's kind of two parts of the equation, right? Yeah. There's one is what do the analytics say, which the Browns mm-hmm. really rely on. So the decision is pretty much 99% made unless Kevin Stefanski has a different feeling. And like you said, the game did change and Stefanski talked about this after the game. Like you said, it turned, it turned into a tight scoring affair and he took the points, but then there's the execution. So there's kind of like the decision and the execution. Um, and I think the Browns, they're failing on the second part more than the first part, right? That's what, that's what you would say too.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And also David, like you, the game situations matter, like when the, uh, the bears are playing the Browns and it was a remember it was a close, fairly close game. And at one game, they finally got down, uh, inside the 10 yard line. And it was like fourth and two or fourth and three, you got to go for the touchdown. Cause you, you haven't even get inside the twenty for forever and you kicked the field goal, um, Sometimes it's like I finally got to this part where I could see the end zone, you know, go for it. And right. because that's the way the game is. So that's that's my feeling. The nice thing is, um, you know, we, we take these kickers for granted. Do you know, by the way, I, I added this up. The Browns have had since Phil Dawson left nine different kickers since 2012. They've had nobody last two years in a row. And among the nine, Cody Parkey's made two visits here. So they haven't had one. If this kid, Chase, can actually stick around for a couple of years. Remember last year, they wouldn't even try a field goal for more than four, oh, past the 50 because they didn't think Parkey could do it. Um, what a relief that would be just to have the same guy for a couple of years who was pretty good.
1: Yeah. And you always see that green line they have on TV during the games. Yeah. So if your field goal range, the Browns has moved back several yards, which mm-hmm. gives them a lot more options, like you're saying. So. All right. I know that Richard Higgins is your client, but in this yes. is not a Rashard Higgins question, but it is a DPJ question. It comes from Dan Faywell. Who's from Solon, Ohio. He says DPJ owned the preseason and catches the ball consistently. Is it his lack of, is his lack of production based on not being open, not being targeted or both? I think mean, not being targeted primarily because then that, then what would them the preseason
0: is uh, OBJ never played. Jarvis never played. And he, Rashard even had missed a game or two with a hamstring. So he was the main guy out there along with who uh, was a Devion Davis. Remember him? You know, Absolutely, those guys yeah. got to show it because you got the ball thrown to him. I I'm, I'm worried. The, uh, the, uh, if DPJ keeps getting ignored, I'm going to add him to my client stable of ignored receivers. He could join <laughs> Rashard Higgins and I'll take them both. I think that kid. And they always talk about how smart he is and he's prepared. He's, he's strong. He'll fight you to, to get the ball. He'll make sure the other guy doesn't intercept it in front of him. Um, I like everything about him. I wouldn't be surprised. I wonder if they might put him back in punt returns, not because he's going to break those big ones, but he catches everything and he does run in a straight line.
1: Yeah. And he did that at Michigan. And um, you know, he did but- it
0: a little bit last year. It wasn't very good, but. Yeah. There was no you you made me think.
1: I wonder if some of the uh, fourth down plays that the Browns have been calling that have been blown up might have gone DPJ's way because he Maybe. usually has a height advantage and he's got a big catch radius. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they who they go to in those fourth. That's down the situation. problem. They were so bad. We don't know what they were. Yeah, we don't to even do. know. where. The, right. We don't know where the ball and, was going. And, and
0: if you ask them, they're not going to tell you anyway. So, yeah, there you go.
1: All right, last one here. This one is from Tim Powell, who's from Fairlawn, Ohio. He says, will Browns fans ever be happy with a victory, or will they continue to dwell on the players who had an off day?
0: (laughs) Probably two things. Number one is, I guess, how your fantasy team did, (laughs) you know, to go back to that, which I never played fantasy anything. To me, the real life's hard enough, but that's my living. Secondly, um, I, I do have to say, just take the win. Now, if Baker has one or two more games like we just saw, um, that's a real reason for concern. Sometimes it's just like in life. Sometimes somebody just has a really bad day.
1: And you enjoy the three and one and move on.
0: I mean, three and one. Three and one. And you, you look at the defense coming up, I would have been a lot more worried about this team. Suppose they won 33 to 30. Uh, and the uh, offense was clicking, which we kind of expect. But the defense was back to just looking, you know, not getting to the quarterback. Nothing's happened. I'm like, because you can't expect to go deep into playoffs if your defense keeps giving up 25 to 30 points a game. You can't.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. It's uh, if the Browns win again and people are still unhappy, we'll have to revisit this, and maybe we'll, we'll
0: have to like have like some kind of exorcism or <laughs> of this negative <laughs> demon that has taken a hold of the of a four and one fan fan base.
1: All right, hey, let's talk about your faith, Colin, from last week. I think this was sometimes you write about things that affect everybody, and this was certainly one of them. Um, you wrote about you talked to your wife, Roberta, about hey, how can I? how can I be better? How can I be a better husband? And she gave you really some really interesting answers about how to listen better. And you turned that into a column last week and everybody should read it. It's really interesting. And it's not just for people who, you know, for husbands and wives, it's about how to communicate with friends and family members. Um, And this week you asked people for like their advice. And I was kind of curious what kind of response you've gotten and what, what kind of things people have been offering up. I mean, wow
0: it sounds like it's just about marriage. It isn't. It's about any kind of close relationships and families or whatnot. One of the things um, uh, a person said, my uh, husband and I have the 51% rule. It isn't 50-50. If you really want to uh, build a relationship or friendship, you're giving 51% on your side. In other words, you're doing a little more than what you think you ought to do. uh, And then you'll be better off like with roberta said to me and, and and she was hesitant i said first of all you have to ask what can i do to be better and you'll probably gonna have to ask a couple times to say no i really want to know and i'm not going to say i'm not going to get defensive i really want to know she says you know sometimes i just want to tell you about things that happen whatever i just need you to listen to me and that's stung because i know how i'll turn her out sometimes or a way to say okay right now you know i'm busy but Let's talk about it in a couple of hours, and then you make sure you do it. But it's the same way in a friendship. A friend calls or a relative calls, and you're in the middle of something. Uh, and if, if they do call, even if you, you don't take the call, just send them a text back and say, look, I'm in the middle of something, but can I call you at 8 o'clock, you know, around there? That's the way we do it good, for respect for, for people. So that's, you know, that's what, it, what it's built on. And, and there's a lot of other good comments from, from folks. Don't expect people to be like you. Mm -hmm. Uh, the one the worst thing you say well if I was in your spot here's what I do well you're not (laughs) I mean start with that as opposed to now you know it it isn't how I look at it now try to crawl into the other person's skin and see how they're feeling and say now I've really tried to look at it from your point of view not mine and here's what I'm thinking about you ought to try so hey you get all this stuff for free in Sunday's paper, I'm on the sports page. I'm over
1: here. I'm giving you know great family advice. What else do you want? That's right. And sports and and life advice. Life. Advice. <laughs> no, it is. It's interesting to bring back the sports. So there's a there used to be a football coach in Chicago at Mount, Car- Mount Carmel High School, which produced uh, boy Antoine Walker, Donovan McNabb, and his motto was win. It was W-I-N. And your column made me think of this. And it was yeah. For what's important now. Yeah. And guys are really bad at this, too. Like, I think we'll be looking at our computers or something will come on TV and you're trying to talk to your wife or somebody at the same time and you're trying to do all three things at once. And I think your column really drove home to me, like, all right, what's important now is to like pay attention and, and, yeah, look, were, at, and look at, look the at person. them. Yeah, you were really, yeah. you were really, you really made a strong point out of it Like, look at the person you're talking to so you can connect with them non-verbally.
0: Because I'll, be I'll be bad, right? I'll be looking, if you said you're looking at a computer screen there and yeah, okay, yeah, it's too bad about that. It's like, just stop, turn and look. And five minutes of that will make your life a
1: lot better, probably. Absolutely. So, all right, well, we'll look forward to reading the follow-up for that. Um, It'll be online on cleveland.com on Saturday. And then as Terry said in Sunday's paper, and now to wrap up the show, this is kind of a Terry's trivia question. So Terry, everybody knows that Paul Brown was a huge innovator and you put your picture, his picture uh, in the locker room up when you solicited some questions this week. Um, Of course, Paul Brown was inducted in 1967 in the pro football hall of fame and Otto Graham was his presenter, which was fitting, of course. Um, do you know much about Paul Brown's innovations? And if so, which one was your favorite one that you, that you think when you think, well, Paul the, Brown, the, what was the one that impressed you the most?
0: Well, the, the, there's, when I wrote the Brownstown 64, there's a lot in there about Paul Brown Things you know, there's a, you know, the face mask, whether some people say he shouldn't get credit for it, but he takes credit for it. And it is, um, I thought it was interesting that he, he was the first to put coaches up in the press box to watch Absolutely. the game from on high he used whether he used game film with teams his team first or used it more than anybody else there was that and finally i like this one is he would quiz his players Had hey, out quizzes during the, a couple times during the week for upcoming game plans and one one of the coaches said you know these guys are cheating on that he says even if they're cheating they're still learning it <laughs> which is true <laughs> which is true so that was uh
1: yeah there's uh, so, there's like so much that. cool stuff like that though yeah um, yeah i think if you go to the pro football hall of fame i think there was an, actually an early version of the radio helmet that he tried to build mm-hmm. at one point is that right yeah and, yeah and then i never knew that he was the first coach to put his team in a hotel the night before games
0: i didn't know that either just yeah so that now that's new
1: too yeah well you cool know he thing.
0: stuck them out at Hiram. part of the reason they they trained at Hiram's because the town was dry. They had to go 10 miles away to Garrisville <laughs> to get any beer.
1: Always a no, method to the management. No
0: air conditioning. He didn't even really particularly want them having fans in their room. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, listen, uh, that'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry's Talking. Um, Terry, thanks for making the time again. It's always fun. Uh, you can catch Terry on Facebook if you want to hit him up with a question. You can also, if you want to ask a Hey, hey, hey Terry question, you can email it to us at sports at cleveland.com, and we'll make sure Terry gets it again at sports at cleveland.com. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking.